What up, AOTA family? Welcome to Passing Period and All the Above Podcast Extra. We do these in between our full episodes. Of course, our full episodes have dope guests, super dope guests, actually, if I'm being technical. And we throw those on the YouTubes and it takes some time to edit all that and get that all sorted out. So we drop these passing periods in between, which give us an opportunity, just Jeff and I, to discuss some stories that maybe weren't included in our previous episode and just to check in and all that good stuff. So my name is Manuel Rustin, your favorite teacher's favorite teacher, and I am on summer break, and I'm here with Jeff. And um, man, Jeff, let's just start with uh, how's your summer going, man? I believe you are doing some kind of traveling or something, right? You are not presently in the uh, great golden state of California. I am most certainly not currently present in the golden state, Manuel. Um, I am in the land of... Uh, Humidity and uh, <laughs> and and climate climate change manifesting as Florida in the upper Midwest. Uh, that's that's where I am. Um, yes, I'm in my home state of Minnesota, uh, my home cities of St. Paul and Minneapolis. Um, and as of this very second, man, well, I am recording from my childhood bedroom at my mom's what? house. Yes, they, nice. used to, they used to be. They used, folks, of course, can't see, but there used to be bunk beds. Okay, right, wow. <laughs> right behind me here, Manuel. I was on the bottom bunk. My older brother was on the top. Wow. So, um, yep. Look at you, so, man. Uh, From the bottom bunk to co-hosting all of the above, the premier <laughs> place for news and analysis of all things related to education. Look at that come up, man. Look at that come up. Started started from the bottom bunk. Now we're here. Yeah, uh, man. <laughs> yeah. That so, is dope. Um, so yeah, enjoying some time on the road, uh, spending, you know, reconnecting with family and uh, I have a lot of good friends out here. So it's, um, it's always nice to, to come home. Nice. I did not realize it gets humid over there. I, I'm, I don't really know much or anything really about the Midwest climate wise besides cold, cold, cold winters. But uh, man, it seems like everywhere is humid except for um, out here on the West Coast. I can't stand yeah, humidity, I, man. I would say the West, the like Mountain West and the, you know, West Southwest are the parts of the country that really don't get humid. The upper Midwest, it um, it's not like the South because the humidity will break. So you get like hot stretches, you mm. know, um, and now with climate change, like when I got here, man, it was like 95 degrees and swampy. Like it was, Damn. Minnesota's already had more 90 degree days this summer than it typically has for the whole summer, like in a normal year, right? So, um, well, damn. Yeah. So it's been, it's been hot drought conditions for here, but you know, a drought for here is a whole different thing than a, a drought in California. Yeah. Uh, it means like people's lawns get brown, but, uh, they're still green everywhere. Um, so, but then it rains, man. Well, and when it rains then it cools off. So like today it's like, you know, 70 degrees and no humidity. So it's, um, that's that's the beauty of the Midwestern summer, along with here in the upper Midwest, Manuel, you know, the sun doesn't set until like 9.30 p.m. Yeah, it's 10 dope. p.m. Yeah. So it's, uh, you know, now in December and January, it's a different story, but <laughs> in July and August, it's a beautiful thing. Dope. Well, yeah. folks, that concludes our all of the above weather report. Yes. <laughs> Meteorologist uh, Jeffrey Garrett signing off. Uh, <laughs> Jeffrey Thunderstorm Garrett. Yes. Oh, I like that, man. That's kind of nice. I, sh I should use that. <laughs> yeah, man. New title, new title. Um, uh, all right, Jeff. Well, well, 
it's, you know, summer break in our education system and looking ahead to the fall, we've got, we've got a couple, you know, themes and, and stories to kind of discuss as it relates to folks coming back, coming back to school, that is. So, Jeff, what is, what is the story for today's passing period? Yeah, man. Well, so I, we got an interesting one to help us uh, kind of jump off into discussion today. And it's, it's sort of an amalgamation of two stories. And, you know, obviously we're coming out of the craziest school year ever, uh, you know, pandemic and virtual schooling and all that. And, I, you know, I think a, a question on people's minds is like, is everyone going to come back? And you overlay that with some of the data that we've seen, which is in the in the spring of 2021 when it was optional for folks to come back. We definitely started seeing some disparate trends by race, particularly um, with African-American and Asian-American students and families opting to come back to in-person school at much lower rates than their peers of other of other uh, racial and ethnic groups. So, um, you know, this is this is just kind of an interesting, you know, question, I think, to explore. And there were a couple of pieces this week in the press that we wanted to dig into. One in the Heckinger Report um, by Evelyn Chow. Uh, shout out to the Heckinger Report and to her um, that was titled, As Schools Reopen, Will Black and Asian Families Return? Um, so, you know, asking some important questions there. And then also a piece in the Wall Street Journal recently. Um, and this one was, was pretty fascinating. Um, the article um, was by Lee Hawkins uh, entitled New York City Students, uh, Student Quits Stuyvesant to School Himself. Here's how he did it. Um, and it profiles uh, a high school student, Gregory Wickham, um, who's a, a biracial student, uh, black and white, who, um, you know, opted out of Stuyvesant High School, which folks who don't know, New York City public school system, Stuyvesant is the most elite of the elite exam schools in New York City. So it's harder to get into Stuyvesant than it is to get into, say, Harvard or Princeton, numerically speaking. So, um, you know... Interesting story profiling this kid who's like, I think I can learn better if I, you know, stay home. And his parents were skeptical and put together a whole sort of, uh, you know, you have to like come up with kind of a syllabus of what your learning is going to be to kind of prove that this can be good for you. And uh, he did it, right? Um, so, and we're seeing nationally, Manuel, at least some questions around uh, what is the future going to be particularly, I think, for Black and Asian American youth, if the, uh, the process of either opting out or the process of homeschooling or engaging in independent study schooling settings in some, you know, in some way uh, becomes a much more popular option for folks, what that will look like, why families might make that kind of decision, um, all, you know, all of that sort of <laughs> rolled up into one. So um, want to get your take on this, Manuel, as someone who perhaps has had a, a closer perspective, maybe even conversations with young people about uh, how it's going or how it went this past year and who also worked through a return to in-person schooling and kind of what 
what that was like for young people and seeing kids both like thrive and struggle um, over the last year. So all, the, all that together, man, well, what, uh, what's on your mind about these two stories? Yeah, man, it's interesting. I think together they show that one thing that the pandemic did is offer families and, and students a time to sort of reflect about their educational experience and think differently about whether or not they wanted to continue with the traditional educational experience. If, if nothing else, it it offered the, for some, an opportunity, for others, you know, a challenge of trying to do school based out of your house and um, and go from there. So I'm thinking about how in the story from the Heckinger report, there's a parent mentioned or, or profiled in that story. Her name is Frenetta Sensabaugh, and she was talking about how frustrated she already was. This is a black mother with uh, a few school-aged children, and she talked about how unsatisfied and frustrated she was with schooling experience for her kids like before the pandemic and the she said she was she didn't like the focus on standardized testing she didn't like the services or the lack of services that were there for her for her kids and she just felt like her her children her black children were not being educated in the traditional school system so then when covid hit she was working from home and she took that as an opportunity to basically homeschool her kids and it worked great according to her and she's like yo we ain't we ain't going back because she's seen academic gains in her kids um she was talking about their their reading levels um their their math levels like you know how far behind they were before the pandemic and how they've been able to get back up to grade level and this and that so i think there's a lot of folks out there who similarly realized or had time to reflect during the pandemic about their own kids' schooling experiences and decided, you know what, I'm working remotely now and I am totally capable of homeschooling my children now. And maybe I wasn't before when I wasn't able to work remotely. Now, how many folks fall into that category? I, I, I don't think it's a lot. Like, I don't know. We'll know in the fall. But I think even a lot of folks who have those sensibilities who are thinking that, I think at the end of the day, they are probably going to send their kids back to in-person schooling because that is what, you know, most folks have been used to for for so long. And of course, most youngsters want to see their friends and all that. I know most of my students, most of my high school students want that in-person, even though at the end of the school year when in-person was offered as a choice, most of them did not go for that. The reason they didn't go for that was because they knew it wasn't like real in person. It wasn't like, you know, what they're used to. It was a couple kids in the room staring at their screens while the teacher still teaches through Zoom or whatever. So I know that the majority of my students expressed excitement about this fall and being back to like, quote unquote, normal school in terms of like being back in the building. So I think most will come back to the building. However, um, we can't ignore, we as a school system can't ignore the fact that a lot of families, I don't know how many, but a lot of families are not going to send their kids back because as more and more uh, folks are able to work from home and as more and more folks are able to reflect on how 
not great school has been for their kids, either because of um, racism, either because of other inequities, because of whatever. I think a lot of folks will be like, you know what, my my kid, they're all right. Like we we could do it from our household and we'll be okay. And I think this that Stuyvesant kid, you know, it didn't seem like he's one who was unhappy with his schooling in terms of like the racial uh, incidents that he might've experienced or this and that, whatever, being one of very, very, very few black students at that school. I didn't see any reference to that in an article. It just seemed like he was like, yo, I would just rather learn on my own. Like I could push myself further or do it without needing to like have these uh, in-person experiences. So I think we'll see a lot of that. I don't know how much, but I do think schools have to really think about like, as long as those sentiments are out there, that some families would rather keep their kids at home, whether they do keep, keep their kids at home or not, as long as those sentiments are out there, I think it, it it's important for us educators to really think about like, okay, how are we gonna restore trust or in some cases develop trust in the first place and welcome students back to the to the actual building in a way that that helps parents feel or helps you know caregivers feel good about their their youngster being back in the school building. So uh, you know, time will tell, Jeff. But I don't think it's going to be a lot of folks that that stay back. But I think there will certainly be a segment of of families that do opt for either virtual options if they're there. And of course, in California, I think there's a, a Senate bill working its way right now that is meant to require school districts to have an online option for students who have uh, who are medically vulnerable or um, whose parents don't feel that it's safe. So I, I don't know. I think it's it's time will tell, but I think schools need to really, really think about like, yo, <laughs> a lot of folks don't want to come back. What are we going to do to um, help them feel good about coming back? What do you think? Yeah. So, I, you know, man, well, I think I'm inclined to agree. And I, I am actually extremely curious about what is going, what the data is going to show around enrollment after a month of school this fall. Now, there still could be a lot of unknown factors ahead of us that could make this fall not the right time to measure either, like, you know, what happens with the Delta variant and student vaccination, all that kind of stuff that, uh, you know, that could have a huge impact. But I think, man, well, just looking at the lay of the land, I'm inclined to think that way more families are going to return to school than some of the, you know, more doom and gloom predictions might suggest. So the fact that the, um, you know, the Heckinger Report article we were talking about cites this study out of USC from last year that shows that only 25% of black families reported interest in returning for in-person schooling. So I, my hunch is that as more and more people are vaccinated, as this fall, at least as of right now, school everywhere that I'm aware of is going to be in-person, five days a week, regular school, right? Um, that that's going to place a different set of conditions on people to make a decision about whether they come back, right? Like, for example, if all your friends are, go are going back to in-person school and you're the one kid who's not going back, like, are, you know, what's that going to do at the dinner table conversation with families at home, right? Um, when you see sports happening again and prom in the spring happening again and all, you know, all the stuff that actually people love about school happening and you're not a part of it, 
I think that's going to change people's, a lot of people's perspective, right? This year, that 25% was both reflecting the, the more peak period of the pandemic and it was like, well, I can do kind of sucky Zoom school. And I don't say that to disparage educators or kids, but just to say that like everybody knew it wasn't as good as, you know, the real deal. Or you can, you know, go back in some like funky hybrid situation that's like not that good either, you know, and maybe you get to see some of your friends, maybe you don't because we're in different cohorts or we're, you know, we can't hang out at lunch or, you know. That, it's a totally different calculus, I think, this fall, um, at least given the current plans that we're hearing about, certainly in California and, and in most of the country. So I'm inclined to think that when all the dust settles, people are going to look at their options and say in-person is the best option, right? And that we will see something that will be more like what we saw before, which is a small number of kids and families look at that equation and say, hey, the virtual option is a better option for me and my kid. That number may grow some, but I'm inclined to think it's relatively small, even considering some of the like racial lens reasons that we saw, particularly among Asian Americans who were out, you know, the, um, the largest spikes we saw in hate crimes and hate related racist incidents in this country being targeted at Asian Americans um, over the last year, because you know, all the like, quote, China virus, you know, racist, xenophobic talk, right? Um, that was being trumpeted from the top down, uh, no, no pun intended, uh, in this country. So, um, you know, and, and of course the anti-blackness that, you know, a lot of black families got relief from this year because I didn't have to worry about, you know, my kid being suspected of stuff while they're at home with the adults who love them. So all that is real. And I think it puts a tremendous strain on families to homeschool. And I'm not sure how many families are going to be able to, you know, to realistically accommodate that. Um, I will say though, Manuel, what this makes me think a lot about is other configurations of school. So, and this is where I think we totally are currently in the process of dropping the ball on uh, supposedly reimagining school. Right. I'm like, why do why does school need to be five days a week from eight to three in your seat, 54 hours a semester in each of your six periods of class? You know, like, why? Why does it need to be that way? We've we have learned some stuff this year. There are other ways we could do school that are more hybrid kinds of experiences where maybe part of your learning is more independent study based and part of your learning is more traditional classroom study-based. There's internship kinds of possibilities or, you know, just other things and other spaces that kids could be in to actually do really good learning. And why don't we try intentionally to create opportunities for that stuff to continue? I could definitely see a world in which a lot of families, and especially some of the families we were just talking about who are have some reservations about in-person school, don't want to fully disconnect, like still want to be a part of the school community, but also want flexibility, more time, you know, potentially at home, more time outside the walls of the school, more time doing higher interest, engaging stuff for them. That's what's exciting to me. I just sadly am seeing like zero momentum in that direction, at least that I'm aware of. 
happening at any type of significant scale and like a re-entrenchment around seat time hours that like is going to make that kind of stuff impossible so i, I don't know what do, you, what do you think about that manuel yeah yeah i mean i we're seeing it with adults right I, we're seeing yeah, talk about yeah. like returning back to work in person versus like remote working and how different companies have varying policies about whether or not they're going to allow their their workers to their workers their employees to continue to work from home versus having to be like in an office building or whatever i think though those same conversations around like do i really need to be there in person or do i at least do i need to be there in person five days a week those conversations i think also apply to to schooling uh, just as adults would like have have now experienced some alternative methods for c completing their work i think a lot of youngsters have experienced that as well. And there's a lot of realization that like, yes, I would like to be in person to some extent because there's so much value in that. But at the same time, to your point, do we do I have to be in person as much and in the same way as pre-pandemic? Because there are so many more opportunities now to utilize our various, you know, technological advances to learn in different ways and not necessarily have to physically be together. But we, yeah, we're not talking about that at all, Jeff. Come on now, get out of here. <laughs> like no one's talking about <laughs> actually like holding on to some some systems like that or developing some new lasting systems that are more flexible. I wish though, I wish we were, but we, are, we certainly are not. And in terms of the challenges that we face specifically here in California, I mean, these challenges exist elsewhere, but some of the challenges in California that we hear a lot of mention about, you know, so I'm thinking about our unhoused students and the mm. housing crisis is not getting better. It's getting a lot worse, if anything, it seems to be getting a lot worse. And when I think about what education options would be best for a student who's unhoused, like, I don't know, and I think it varies uh, by, family and by, by student, but some sort of flexible, some in-person, some remote access like option seems to me to be the way to go. Like for those families who are, who do have the benefit of having stable housing, an adult or two who are able to work remotely from home and monitor their their youngsters and help them through the learning activities, then hey, if homeschooling is what you wanna do because of all the uh, inequities and all the, the problems within the school system, by all means, go ahead and do that. But too many families don't, they don't have the liberty of making that sort of decision. And many of those families are unhoused families who are, either living out of vehicles or living from place to place and just don't have a stable housing option and homeschooling just wouldn't really work because of internet access, of course, and just the instability that comes with experiencing that. So yeah, man, we should be, we definitely should be having very robust conversations and more than conversation, we should be past the conversation part of this um, around what schooling should look like um, next year and beyond and having multiple options that that meet the needs of, of families depending on their particular circumstance. But yeah, those conversations aren't aren't happening that I see um, within our state or even nationally in any kind of really robust, significant way, which I think is very unfortunate. I think for sure, as time goes on, all of us will look back at this this last year and a half, two years and be like, damn, what a missed opportunity. Like I could feel it, Jeff. Like whenever we come down to, you know, retirement age, hopefully, you know, at some point, if we're able to just look back 
I at, bet at you some we're point be like, 40 years from now, you mean? <laughs> I'm just saying, man. We're going to look they, back and be like, when, damn, that was a moment. We could have really did something. Sorry, there's no Social Security for you. You didn't pull on your bootstraps hard enough. You mean that retirement? All, yeah, yeah, all of that. <laughs> at the age, at the, at the nice young retirement age of 83, um, yeah, exactly. yes, we're going to. <laughs> but also, uh, in, uh, you know, on top of all of that, the homeschooling thing, when I say thing, I don't mean to disparage homeschooling at all, but just even the phrase homeschooling, I see um, being used in very uh, partisan ways a lot. You see or hear folks online threatening to homeschool their kids because these liberal teachers are indoctrinating students and they don't want their kids to be exposed to these Marxist ideas. So they're homeschooling and families are fleeing the public school system, just like families are fleeing California. And then you have the the opposite end, which is, I think, more legitimate, which is like the school system does not care for our students of color the way it needs to. And F that, I feel better about schooling my kid at home where they will be surrounded by love and support versus being sent to the principal's office because their mask slipped a little bit and now they're being written up for not wearing the mask properly. So we have sort of opposite ends of the spectrum on like what homeschooling might mean and why parents might be choosing homeschooling. But yeah, man, it'll be interesting to see. I think like, I agree with you. I can't wait to see like a month into the school year when the dust has settled. I can't wait to see what the numbers are. Not numbers wise, like enrollment numbers wise, but just like in general, like how many families have decided that despite the despite the flaws in our school system, that it is still the best option and in-person learning is still the way to go. So we, we shall see, I guess. Yeah, I, I think we shall. I am, so I'm kind of curious, Manuel, and you know, putting you on the spot here, so. Put me on the spot. You know, uh, let me know if it's too much. But um, if you could design, like taking the learning that you had from this last year. Yep. If you could design a different just like structure of school, what what do you think, thinking about what you learned and saw that seemed to resonate with kids and families this year, like what what would that look like if we if we did if we did the reimagine thing in terms of just the structure, what what would that look like in your mind? Well, obviously, Jeff, a whole lot of testing. Uh, I think we Definitely don't do enough testing. Um, but besides that, <laughs> no, uh, being serious, there would be a mixture in general, there would be a mixture of in-person, quote unquote, direct instruction time, time, which I don't mean necessarily like lecture time, but just actual in-person uh, learning activities. And then personalized learning time, which is like on your own, either at home, remotely, or on campus, if that works best for you type of time. So it'd be much more mm -hmm. of a quote unquote quote unquote hybrid sort of situation. So I would love, I am, I'm thinking high school. So I'm sorry yeah. folks who teach elementary and have elementary age kids. I'm just thinking, I'm just envisioning this through the high school lens. Um, and I'm thinking like, I would love to see my classes for a set time of the day and then them have structured time where they could either be in my classroom physically or in the school library or at home um, working on some of the things that we have, we were exploring in class, something that's much more flexible so that they don't have to be sitting in a desk 
for eight hours a day or whatever it comes out to for five days a week. And that would allow much more flexibility for students who have to work, for students who engage in sports and other activities. And just in general, like there's a lot of times where like even as an adult, I feel like I don't really need to be here physically right now. This is something I could be working on better in a more enhanced way uh, on my own time. So I would like to see some sort of flexibility like that. Mm -hmm. But, yeah. you know, the particulars of, particulars of that, of course, will be challenging and making sure that that personalized learning time is actually effective and not just wasted time. Like, you know, like it, it might be if, if not done right. Obviously that's all a challenge, but it school would be a lot more flexible. I personally, for myself as an individual, I would love the like in-person stuff to be in the morning. And then the afternoon is the flexible. You might be working on it more closely with me in class, or you might go home and work on it or you know zoom in to the classroom or go to the library or go to your game whatever like the afternoon time would be that and for younger students I don't, I don't, something similar you know maybe the afternoon time is more of that that creative fun energy and a family's needed to pick up their kid because of whatever then that's fine too but yeah i don't really know what it looks like at little kid little kid level i'm sorry i apologize yeah, it's 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 hard. I, I appreciate hearing your thoughts there because I, I think at the high school level, I'm inclined to agree that like just thinking about what we saw this year, that might be if we gave people an option like regular school, this hybrid thing we're talking about or some more just pure virtual independent study type program. I kind of feel like most people might want that hybrid, you know, I mean, I don't have scientific data to back that up, but just anecdotally, I'm like, I feel like most, that might be the majority choice. Um, and cause it preserves the community, but offers flexibility in a way that, uh, I think we could actually do better with than we would have, you know, a year ago or that sort of thing. I, now at the, um, at the elementary level, I think it's a whole different ballgame because really at elementary, there is a very significant societal function of childcare that school also plays in addition to being a really important like developmental or learning space. And so that's a huge burden on families. Middle schools may be a little bit of a middle ground, but I could see maybe some some type of a hybrid situation the way you're describing, you know, like sixth grade, that's tough. Eighth grade might be a little more possible. Um, you know, families might have more broad, pers you know, perspectives on it based on their just like relative maturity of the child. And like, is this a kid I can leave at home for three hours unsupervised right. or am I going to come home and find like chaos and, you know, the kitchen on fire or something, right? Um, and kids, you know, all right, they just mature at different speeds uh, in middle right, school right. for sure. So, um yeah. So I, anyways, we're, we're, we're pondering and speculating here, but I, you know, I think we we're at this interesting historical moment. I'm very, very curious to see what families do in the fall and what kind of feedback comes back to districts as a result. And then what potential there is for a new direction. If what, if we come back and we're like, Hey, this just going back to regular school stuff ain't working for us, you know, like we want something different. So anyways, man, well, all that to say it is, it's an interesting spot we're in. I, I think we're going to learn a lot this fall. And I hope that the door stays open for us to innovate and do something new. If that's what families, especially 
families of color, especially black and Asian American families that we're, you know, we're seeing some data around like maybe more hesitation. I hope we leave the door open to maybe do things differently and meet the needs of, of kids and families. Yeah, for sure, man, for sure. We shall see. And I agree with that. And I'm sure there will be more of this to discuss as, as the next months progress, because just like everything, it's a developing story. Things are shifting. Things are changing. We don't know what the new variants or upcoming variants might do. And who knows? Who knows? So we will for sure continue to explore this over time. But before we get out of here, folks, we want to shout out the Zen Education Project because, well, for a few reasons. Number one, they got dope stuff, dope resources, dope curriculum. But also, they're leading a, a campaign over the summer for teachers to teach the truth and to stand in solidarity with each other to teach the truth in face of these fascist laws that are being passed in various states trying to uh, enact memory laws that, that control the narratives about America's founding and what happened in the past. And the Zen Education Project is one of uh, several organizations out there that are supporting teachers in their promise to be truthful in their teaching about history and teaching about the past and the present. And we also want to shout them out because they they gave us a little bit of a boost, a little bit of a boost. They, they came across our merchandise on social media and they saw our Teach the Truth shirts and sweaters and they gave us a little boost. They they posted that um, these are good, good shirts to wear as you pledge to teach the truth and as you take part in their summer campaign to express your solidarity in, in teaching the truth. So we want to shout them out for seeing us and for um, giving us that little bit of support, folks. And again, if you want to get any of that teach the truth stuff for yourself, hit our website. We'll put the link down below. And yeah, we appreciate your support. We love y'all. We hope you're having a great summer, whatever that summer might look like for you. All right. But for this week's passing period, that's about it. So it's time to go ahead and get to class.